from playing clubs at the age of 16 to venturing off to London with his friend Zoot Money and forming Zoot Money's Big Roll Band when he was 19, Andy Summers' musical journey was just beginning to flourish. Summers went on to perform with other bands and musicians, including The Soft Machine, The Animals, Kevin Coyne, John Lord, Joan Armitrading, David Essex, Neil Sedaka, and Kevin Ayers. But it was his gig with Strontium 90 that introduced him to Gordon Sumner and Stuart Copeland that catapulted his career into one of the most successful bands ever, The Police. After the band's final studio album, Synchronicity, in 1983, Summers, like his bandmates, embarked on solo careers that continue to this day. In fact, Andy recently released his 14th solo project, Tribal Luminescent, and he's here to talk to us about it. Inside MusicCast is pleased to welcome Andy Summers. Hey Andy, thanks for joining us today. Well, I'm glad to be here. Welcome, welcome Andy. Glad uh, to be anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're on time, we're on time. That's all that matters. You know, <laughs> like, like Rick said, welcome to Inside MusicCast. You know, it, it's funny, we have had uh, Stuart Copeland who was with us, uh, was it four years ago, Rick? I think about three or four years ago, Stuart was yeah, with us, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, you know, we're we're having our collection of police here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'd like, I'd like to, you know, it's well, very well known Andy, that you know, you began your career in music as uh, with an R&B band called Zoot Money's Big uh, Big Roll Band. But we want to visit the time period as we begin the interview, just before this. And musically speaking, what were you doing prior to to Zoot? Uh, were you in school studying? Well, I was a kid. I was you know mostly in diapers. You know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. I was a little kid. I had piano lessons for several years. Uh-huh. Then I got a guitar. Someone, my uncle gave me a guitar that had five strings. And of course, it was, that was the magic moment. You know, I, I never thought about anything else except being a guitarist. Right. It was, you know, fate decreed it. You know, and I was, I was very, very lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that was a path forward. I, I never ever considered anything else. I mean, it completely obsessed me. And that was, that was it. So, mm-hmm. you know, of course, I had, you know, I was like 11, 12, and, you know, I went straight into it 10 hours a day, you know, as a mm-hmm. child. Sure. Um, you know, I became a teenager, met Zoot, and went to London, you know, to start our rhythm and blues band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, that's really where I started. And we were very successful mm-hmm. immediately. You know, Zoot was a great R&B singer. who was, you know, very much into, you know, uh, blues and, um, you know, right. Ray Charles and Otis Redding, all this kind of stuff. James Brown, and that's that's where we started, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, very, you know, it was a brilliant time, you know, we were kids, but, you know, you can imagine the camaraderie and everything of that period in London, mm-hmm. it's great, it was a great start, you know. I just uh, revisited some of the Zoot uh, music just a, the past few days, and and yeah, your singer, he was he was incredible. Uh, that's that's really some incredible music. And I I have to be honest, and knowing that we were going to interview you, I didn't really know much about Zoot, but I really enjoyed the music. It was really amazing stuff. Yeah, it's a great band. Yeah, I mean he's very talented and a great you know blues singer and you know all that, and we did all that. I mean this is sort of period really when uh, people didn't really all write their own songs that hadn't really come about as a thing that you have to write your own song right and a lot of people probably shouldn't <laughs> we were still coming out of the, <laughs> you know the period when you know you you, you get other people's songs and we, we did i mean one of our shows at one point was only james brown live at the polo uh, a size that's mm-hmm. what we did yeah so um <laughs> You know, we we ended up. It started off with just Zoot and I. I mean, I had to write an essay about this. Actually, it was mm-hmm. just the two of us, two lonely lads who went to London and mm-hmm. you know were starving and you know really desperate. And just the two of us. Then we finally we got a drummer to c- 
come and join us. And then, then, then we got another guy called Paul Williams, who's obviously musically gifted, but and we wanted a bass player. He'd never played the bass, but he said he'd learn, and he did, of course, immediately. So we had four, and that was the four that got us in a, a place called the Flamingo mm-hmm. in the West End, where it was all happening. And we mm-hmm. got we got the gig as the house band, and then so then mm-hmm. we got two saxophones in, and two eventually got the Hammond organ, and then you know we became this sort of raging R and B band that was incredibly popular all over all over Britain. Yeah. That was a great start to a uh, musical career. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah. as as all of our listeners know, Andy, you know, so, solo albums and, you know, your musical collaborations, uh, they're not new to you over the years. And, you know, your first solo was back in 87. I think it was called XYZ. Yeah. And, you know, it was, um, you know, it was recorded yeah. right on the heels of Synchronicity, which was like four years before. But after this, you know, you have 14 solo albums, including the new one. And how would you, yeah. you know, I, you know, this is sort of a cliche question, but we're really interested in knowing 14 years later than yeah. XYZ, how do you say your music has progressed and changed and brought you to your new album now? Well, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, you know, uh, I came out of the police, you know, obviously, and I, I, I sort of somewhat stepped into, you know, music outside the police. Like, for instance, I made two records with Robert Fripp. Yeah. Yes, right, you know, right. which were very successful and kind of years ahead of their time and being much copied, which I advanced must and bewitched. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, I was still in the police, so you know, I wasn't about to set off with being right. <laughs> the police at that point. But you know, uh, I had a taste for uh, definitely more exotic music and experimental music, and you know, I was a complete jazz freak as a kid. You know, not not a rocker really. Yeah. That all sort of came later, mm-hmm. and we talk about that. But um, so you know, I got to X Y Z, and I suppose I felt a certain internal mental pressure to you know, continue on in the rock star vein. And I made X Y Z, which I thought some people think is a great record. I right. thought it was really good. Oh, I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I read one one paper review. I think it was People magazine. Said how dare he think he can come out and sing. Like this kind of thing, and it, and it so put me off. Yeah. Um, you know, I was so hurt by it that I said, "Well, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore." And I went on and I made a record called "Mysterious Barricades," which mm-hmm. is more like ambient music. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I started to progress on from there. And I, you know, I started, you know, I was still going on tour and playing, and that was difficult music to play in a live setting. So I started to sort of shape the music more towards. It got more jazzy and, you know, mm-hmm. very instrumental. And, you know, it was a much better platform for me to uh, solo on and improvise, you know, obviously, on stage. And so I started cutting my uh, compositions and stuff. So I could literally play with a, with a band and go out and play. And, yeah, and that's the way it went for a few yeah. years. I think I made some killer records mm-hmm. that way and uh, a couple of collaborations along the way. Yeah, well, anyway, I'm fast forwarding to all this, you know, my, you know, I found, you know, what I love doing is making records. I like making records on my own, mm-hmm. so a artist, and you know, I had a lot of success with it, and I played all over the world. I played all the jazz festivals, um, and always completely engaged with the guitar and, you know, composing. Uh, you know, anyway, come forward a few years, and you know, eventually, you know, we got as far as like the police reunion tour, right. And, you know, I was heavily into my thing and doing it. And then, of course, the police tour is, you know, sort of two-year time out, plus about 18 months after that to recover right. from the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of like, that was a number, 
you know, and it, it almost felt like that whole universe of music that I had before that sort of went away. It didn't really. It's just that, you know, yeah. I was so in this very heavy other sort of psychological place with the police and everything. Mm-hmm. I had to sort of work my way back towards it. But anyway, I did other things after that. You know, made a record with another guitar player that's a great record, which I still haven't released. Recorded with a Brazilian singer. You know, I did some other things. And then I had a kind of rock band for a couple of years called mm-hmm. Circa Zero. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, which right. Was amazing, actually. Mm-hmm. One of the best records I ever made. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I sort of going through these things without being back completely on my sort of forward-moving, you know, Andy Summers solo album path. Right. But it came back uh, with uh, Metal Dog, which is a record I did, put out in 2015, and that mm-hmm. actually started for like a modern dance project in New York, not actually as a CD, but the whole thing didn't pan out at that time, but it's looking like it might now. Um, but I met, so I took, took the music and made it into that CD, and it was very well received. And, you know, I found like I was really back in the zone, back into this kind of thing. And yeah. it's what encouraged me to sort of continue on and, and make uh, Tribal Luminescence. Well, that's what we, we wanted to jump right into, uh, your new yeah. album, Tribal Luminescence. And it was released recently back on March 24th. And again, it's your 14th mm-hmm. solo effort. And, you know, you've been yeah. quoted as describing the music as, as something called New Exotic. And the, the title itself, Tribal Luminescence, is a scientific term. Describe to our audience exactly what this means and how it relates to the new album. Yeah, okay, well, fair enough. I mean, you know, the thing is, you know, you, you make something and you put it out there and put it up. Huge experience doing this uh, over the years, obviously with the police, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. we talked our asses off for years and years. For sure, <laughs> of course. And, you know, boy, it sure doesn't help. You know, like, okay, if you're someone who puts stuff out there, you can talk about it really well. You're going to give it a better shot because that's what the media wants. Right. They want you to say something slightly controversial, something that's going to make them raise their eyebrows, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have some good spiel. Uh, all three of us were very good at it, as it happens, you know. I think, you know, the has got to be there, but I, I felt certainly with what I was trying to push towards with these last two records is, I call it New Exotic, because, oh. you know, I am employing a lot of kind of stranger sounds. Right. If you like, my back to the model of like, you know, jazz in the old days with, you know, the standard thing, upright bass, piano, playing the harmonies, you know, mm-hmm. your saxophone and drums. I, you know, I'm sort of changing that around. This is still music has got a lot of improvisation. Um, mostly it's modal rather than going through lots of chord changes like in standard jazz, in the old days anyway. Yeah. It's miles of sort of start that. So I feel like what I, I'm trying to do is create loops, exotic sounds, uh, like gamelan sounds, mm-hmm, right. and to give it a much more exotic and sort of otherworldly atmosphere, which I think personally makes it uh, very fresh. Mm-hmm. sounding, to mm-hmm. my ear anyway, and, and, and new sounding, rather than just the old standard stuff, you know, you know heavy guitars behind, I could do all that, of course. But um, I feel it's uh, incumbent upon me, personally, to mm-hmm. uh, create new territory. I feel that I've got it, I can do that, and I, I, I don't rest on cliche or anything that I yeah. can see corny. I want to, you know, I mean, you always face the same thing, I'm trying to knock myself out. You know, I have the intellect that I have, and, uh, you know, I've got to, like, push it somehow. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and then I've got to talk about that as well. 
Yeah. I, I came up with some new exotic because I think it's a fair description of, of what I'm trying to do. Yes, yeah, that, that's, that's that's neat. You know, we, we've always known for years that you're a jazzer at heart. I mean, you have a close affinity to yeah. it, but you're also a very technical guitar player. And um, But on Tribal Luminescence, you know, uh, we've been talking about the sound textures that you've created, these yeah. uh, v- these new sounds. And I'd like to talk to that about that a little bit because you've almost painted yeah. – you've almost like – Sonically painted your sounds in a way that go way back to, I mean, go back to, uh, uh, or way beyond than the typical distortions and the pedals. I mean, can you talk to us how you actually build the sounds? We've got technical people listening. Well, I can tell you. Let me just give you a couple of things sure. like, that, that will show you kind of where I'm where how these things happen. Because just I'm in the studio alone yeah. with my engineer. Okay, someone's got to do the recording, so I don't do that. He's sitting there. He's worked with me for many years, mm-hmm. and I know my studio very well. I've, yeah, it's like a certain amount of guitars in it, two different drum kits, various strange acoustic instruments, yep. thousands of guitar pedals, and I know my studio. You know, this is what I, this is the palette. This is where I go. But for instance, like let's take a piece like um, there's one on there called Puka Bunyi Bunyi. Yes, and that 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 term is a strange term, but what it yeah. means is striking something with mallet. It's actually an Indonesian. It's how the Indonesian. Uh, word okay, right. okay. that aptly describes what's happening. Okay, so now this piece was started with two guitars tuned in alternate tunings. Okay. Both had capos high up the neck at a different place. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I did to create a track was to play these uh, a rhythm on these guitars with chopsticks both at the same time. Wow. That fits up the texture. So, okay, we've got weirdness. We're starting with a very sort of <laughs> Very, track. very weirdness. weird, yeah. Like, It's like a strange perfume, if you like. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I got that going, and then I decided to follow the uh, thing with, you know, a set of exotic chords that aren't standard by any means on on the, uh, like a backing guitar, and then sure. play the solo uh, across the top of those chords before going back. So this is all sort of living composition, you know, in the process. It's very experimental. Um, but you're trying to build towards something that has some kind of logic. Right. So, and it's like this on all the tracks. I mean, I'm just giving you an example. Yeah. They're, they're all, you know, I'm out there, you know, groping around. Um, but, you know, I know a lot. You know, I know how to make loops. I know how to retune guitars. And I know how to, I mean, it's what I, <laughs> I've been doing for years. But it's this sort of thing. You know, it's like you're in a kitchen um, trying out different sources. And yeah. I don't think so. Or, oh, this one, that's unusual. I didn't expect <laughs> that. And, okay, great. You know. Yeah, yeah. And this is the fun of it. Well, hey, Andy, uh, you mentioned the track Pukul Bunyi Bunyi, and uh, if you don't mind, let's stop and let's take a listen to this track. And this is from our guest today, Andy Summers, and his brand new album, Tribal Luminescent, on Inside Music Cast.
Well, you know, you mentioned a couple of the tracks. Let me mention a couple that just really stand out. One is Shady Land, and of course, the other one is Haunted Dolls. Very different approaches to two different tracks. Shady Land is yeah. really one of the more ethereal and painted in yeah. a sonic way. And then Haunted Dolls is more like what you just talked about, which was uh, yeah. you using repetitive layers, but you're put, you know, your, uh, you know, your guitar is really clean. You keep it, you know, on top of all the textural stuff. Um, yeah. My question is this as you go from track to track you're shifting gears as to approaches and everything is that the intent of this to put a whole a a stew of sonic approaches uh in this project well i don't think i don't come up with a phrase like okay i'm gonna make a stew of sonic approaches it's sort of what i'm doing and would continue it i I could possibly veer away from this on next time i'm thinking about it there's a certain kind of technology well, I'm hoping to get soon that might push me in a different direction. But, yeah, I mean, very much it's that, that I want to make it very fresh and sonic. All these tracks uh, start from a sonic uh, quality, a sound, that I will put together in the studio with, you know, various pedals. And it made you laugh. But I, you know, <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to really just go, I'll plug me into a wall-wall pedal. I, I have I have come to a place with it where I... I sit on my couch, it's behind the recording desk. <laughs> and I have a little table, you know, it's, it's, it's very physical, and uh, it's, but I think this is very important. You know, it's, I have a little table right under my face in front of me, and I sit there with a strat, and I have all, you know, say 10 pedals on it. Yeah. And I can change those pedals. But I like to be right on top of them. I don't have them on a pedal board on the floor. Gotcha. I don't like to be standing up on there too far away. Mm-hmm. I have my nose right on top of them, and I'm looking at them, and I, I'm uh, re-changing the wiring around or reversing you know, the order of pedals and things like that, or take one out and put another one in until I come to something. And I find that that physical proximity, I mean, it's literally, it's like, it's like writing with a pencil instead of on a typewriter. Yeah. You, you connect with it in a different way. Or it's like playing the guitar with your fingers instead of with a pick. Yeah. You're, you, you know, you're literally one closer. And bizarre as it sounds, I found that that physical proximity to the devices, like literally two inches away, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. makes a big difference. It does. It's so dumb, but um, you know what? It works. It works for me because I feel like I'm in the process with yeah. with my little guys, and we're all working <laughs> together. They're not yeah. like remote down under my shoe somewhere, you know. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, it starts from looking for you know these two records have started. Was looking for a sound, I go, oh yeah, okay, wait a minute, that's yeah. really got something. Yeah. Let me recall 16 bars or 32 bars of that, and we put it down in Pro Tools, and then I'll see if it promotes another idea, you know, either a drum rhythm or, uh, you know, a guitar line or, or whatever, you know, right. I mean, it's the process. Rather than going in and going, oh, I've got the whole thing sorted, we've got, you know, an intro, three verses, chorus, C section, guitar <laughs> solo, back to the, you know, it's not like that. Right. Uh, I'm, I, it's sort of like I'm letting the composition sort of unfold in space and, and come to me. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, obviously I have compositional ability, so, you know, I'm waiting for this freshness to arrive, and then I try and form it into something that becomes coherent. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Hey, hey, listen, I want to talk, you know, we've been talking about the sonic approaches of your music, but if you peel away the sounds and the pedals and everything, I, I want to mention something uh, regarding your your personal musicianship. Uh, as a yeah. guitarist, is Andy Summers getting 
better? Do you push yourself harder? Uh, do you, I mean, do you push yourself harder on your solo work? Are you critical of yourself? Yeah, no, to, you know, I, I, yeah, no, I, I do. No, I, I have ne- never lost interest in, you know, pushing forward really yeah. with the playing. I mean, I don't get up in the morning and play 10 hours a day like I did when I was right. yeah, yeah, yeah. quite young. I did. I did a lot, but I put in, you know, certainly my 10,000 hours, you know, about five million hours. Of course, yeah. No, I, I, I'm a student still, absolutely, mm-hmm. of harmony, uh, guitar playing. I'm still interested, you know, I'm not sitting around copying everything on YouTube. Right? Sure. Like, I mean, that's what makes me sick. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's obvious. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I, I, I feel... I have a, a style. I have an absolute way of phrasing. I have great feel, but um, no, I practice and uh, I'm I'm interested. So you know, whether it's harmony or you know licks, but I, I've studied for years. You know, like yeah. how to play jazz, how to play through chord changes. I play a lot of classical guitar. So you know, I've always been really a guitarist mm-hmm. and right. an interested musician. So, that's great. Yeah, I, I don't uh, let it rest, as it were. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I just come back. I just played you know, a whole bunch of gigs in, in, in uh, Brazil mm-hmm. to thousands of people, and every night there I am, and I have to really go for it live oh, sure. in the moment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, you, yeah. and, you and your bandmates, you know, from the police, when you guys all launched your solo careers, you know, you all seemed to leap into other genres and musical avenues outside mm-hmm. of, you know, where you had been with the police. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was if, you know, all you guys had similar messages that you had been there, you'd, you'd done what you'd done with the police, and it was time to explore new musical paths. And, you know, I personally, uh, you know, always looked at the police as innovators. And, you know, you guys meshed pop and punk and rock and reggae and yeah. elements of jazz into your music. Nobody sounded like the police, but I've always felt that your solo careers, all, of, all three of you, shed light on just how talented the three of you really are. And I, would you agree with that? Well, yeah, I don't, I don't think it was a pretty extraordinary band, mm-hmm. and I think we've all proved that. Yeah. On our own, um, right. you know, and the band was unique because the, the, the influences on it were not just you know straight ahead pop or rock. We we were coming from yeah uh, a lot of other places, and sure. but we had to be a rock band, and we were a rock band with you know pop songs with lyrics. Yes, but the information that was going on behind that was very different than most bands. Mm-hmm. And I think it's what made it such a unique band, you know, and such a you know, worldwide hit. But um. I think, it, you know, I applaud all of us for, you know, going on and showing other genres. It, 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 I mean, it, it, it shows that that really was the reality behind, you know, what mm-hmm. made the police popular in the, in the old days. Mm-hmm. But, you know, being in, having been in a band that was such a phenomenon, which is what it was, it wasn't a band that had one hit in one country. It was a worldwide phenomenon like the Beatles. Uh, it was pretty amazing. Being in a band like that is a blessing and a curse because you're always cursed well, we call it the curse of the early work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll make it, I go, no, actually, I'm much more interested in music. It was, for me, it was everything I did after the police. It got better, more complex, deeper, sure. better, everything better, you know. Um, they go, oh, no, but what everyone remembers is, of course, the popular hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, um, I take great pride in that. That music still goes around. I just, I just come back from Brazil. It's, Mob scenes every single night of the tour. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, that's what we're playing. Um, yeah, I mean it's the legacy, you know. Uh, yeah, we've all been at it long enough that I think you know there's, there's a lot of recognition for that. People know that there's a bit more going on with us. Yeah, exactly. 
looking back at this, the new album, looking back at uh, Tribal Luminescence, you know, how did you know it was finished? I mean, it's just, I mean, you could keep on going for, forever with the experimentation. No, you're, you're right. right. It's a very difficult point, you know, like, is it these nine tracks? Is this, is this it? You know, yeah. we abandoned it now, or should we just go on and on and on? I could have gone on and on, you know. I mean, I mean, believe me, I have a lot more tracks. And I should add, by the way, um, mm-hmm. the vinyl album will be out probably within about a month, and oh, it's cool. got nine more tracks on it. Oh, wow. oh, really? That's awesome. Uh, That's great. Yeah, well, it's one of those weird things. You know, I went, all right, well, put it out on Great, lovely. And they go, well, you know, you've got, you've got an A-side and a B-side and half another A-side. Like, what? <laughs> <You've> got, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, the CD's 53 minutes. Uh, vinyl, you can only put 20 minutes on a side right, if you yeah. want to get a vinyl. So I, I fell right in the middle. But, so I said, well, let's make it double vinyl. So then I went back into the archive, as it were, and yeah. did have all these other tracks. That, uh, you know, I went back and worked on some of them a little bit and sort of brought them up to snuff. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, so now we've got a double vinyl with some, some killer other, you know, sets of weirdness on it. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's great. I'm going to have to get my hands on that. I love vinyl. I buy a lot of vinyl. Yeah, it's going to be great-looking double vinyl. It's cool. Time with it, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, uh, Andy and Eddie, if you guys don't mind. Uh, Let's pause for a moment and let's check out a track from Tribal Luminescent. And this is the track called Haunted Dolls. From our guest today, Andy Summers on Inside Music Cast.
Hey, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, this sort of outside of music, is photography. And uh, I'm a hobbyist photographer, and I love shooting. And I know yeah. this is a passion of yours as well. And I've I've always enjoyed your work. As a matter of fact, I was going through your website last night and browsing through yeah. some of those ca uh, catalogs you have. But I love how yeah. you capture, you know, real, raw, everyday subjects. You know, that kind of reveal life in a in sort of that you know in the moment approach. And and usually your photography is in black and white. So my question yeah. for you is, do you still shoot film and or have you embraced digital? And what is your go-to camera and favorite lenses? Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I, I, I have gone digital. And the reason I was able to go digital was, um, yeah, I've always used the Leica, uh -huh. the Leica camera. And, yep. uh, you know, for years, it's the Leica M6. That's the camera for me. Mm -hmm. What happened was that the last big film expedition I did was in 2012. Went all over Asia and I shot like 95 rolls of film and things like carrying it <laughs> around. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle of that, the Leica came out with the first, the, what they call the monochrome one, which just only shot black and white. Incredibly snobby move for a very expensive camera, but <laughs> man, the black and white was fantastic. Uh -huh. and, and so that's when I made the change. I didn't feel like I'd gone digital, I just got a Leica another Leica that happened, happened yeah. to be digital. Uh -huh. So same camera, same size, yeah. I'm using the same lens, I'm focusing, everything's the same, except now it's digital. Mm -hmm. That's when I made my, my uh, crossover. So, yeah, I'm, I'm shooting digital, and, and I now use, the one I really like, they made two monochromes, but I like the monochrome one, the mm -hmm. mono one. Mm -hmm. and it's a slightly different look to it, it's a different sensor, so that's, that's the camera that I use. So I did just get the M10, which is a, Hot off the press, new uh, mm -hmm. Leica color camera, which is interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I want to know if your your beginnings or your love for photography had any connection at all with Dwayne Michaels. Well, um, well, I think that's a good question. You know, I mean, when I was those early days of it, you know, and being mm -hmm. like fantastically enthusiastic about it all. I mean, I spent yeah. a lot of time in New York, and I did connect up with a bunch of. Um, New York photographers, yeah, sure. in particular Ralph Gibson, and it might have been through Ralph that I met Dwayne Michaels, uh -huh. and this was just sort of pre-synchronicity. Right. And, you know, we were thinking of, you know, obviously ways to make the album cover, and I, I think I suggested that maybe Dwayne Michaels could shut it, mm -hmm, shoot cool. it, and then, of course, they had this concept of each guy going off and doing his own set of photographs, and yeah. no one knew what the pictures were going to be until... Mm -hmm. Three of us actually saw the printed album. Right. So that's when I met Dwayne, and I admired his work and what he was doing. He was doing that sort of dreamlight thing. He's a great guy. Very so, good. So, yeah. Hey, well, uh, Andy, we're about finished here. And, of course, our goal today was, was to focus on, on you and your career outside of the police. But I think it's important to recognize that, you know, the police's debut album, Atlantos de Mora, was released on November 2nd, 1978. And you're not too far away from that 40th anniversary. Oh, and goodness. I was, I'm not expecting or asking about a reun, uh, reun, you know, if you guys are going to reunite for a tour. But is there anything that you guys have planned to mark this occasion? Um, well, you know, it's always discussions going on about all that and mm -hmm. I think that Universal that now is you know the umbrella company for AM will mm -hmm. put out all sorts of uh, repackages and yeah, stuff right. like that and maybe talk about it. yeah no I think that's going to be quite a lot of activity sure definitely yeah well, yeah. we'll keep our eyes peeled for uh, that. And you, thanks for reminding me. I think I'm going to call the lawyer after this. <laughs> 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 Just get on the case. Let's see what they're really doing. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> there is a sort of renewal of the contract at this point. Ah. I mean, this stuff doesn't go away. <laughs> that's wonderful. Right. Yeah, we're we're not a band; we're a brand. You know, right? Yeah, that's exactly. That's, that's, true. that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> the new album is called Tribal Luminescence, and the artist is Andy Summers. And uh, Andy, we want to take you. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today on Inside Music Cast. Thank you so much. Great. All right. All back. All right. Take care. Thanks so much. Special thanks to Andy Summers for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Scott Gross, Mikhail Ingstrom, Loretta Sassaman, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup, Yinka Oyelese, and Arnaud Legere for their support and content development. For the best in West Coast AOR, pop, jazz, and funk, tune in to Inside Music Cast Radio. Download the streaming app for Android and iOS devices or listen at InsideMusicCast.com. Inside MusicCast is powered by Earshot Audio Post and Cabello Associates. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside MusicCast and Inside MusicCast Radio.